one and all. We are all here today to have our Teachers' Day celebration in a very, very special way. Let's see how we are going to celebrate our Teachers' Day today. So we are here today to uh, represent Soulful Schools, a masterclass on alternative education in collaboration with TPO's EDUCOR. The second edition of Masterclass series will take you on a short journey of transformation. We are so thrilled to bring together 30 alternative, holistic, and democratic learning spaces select from across the country. Wherever we have innovative topics, informative content, and progressive ideas are shared with you. We remain hopeful that this and forthcoming sessions will inspire you to bring about that possible change to take your school, school community to a new direction. I'm myself, Dr. Madhuri Parthi. I uh, have uh, spearheaded a organization starting uh, with, in the capacity of a teacher, later as a principal, and uh, then I have been more a strategist for Sriram Group, for JK Group, for Educom. But I talk very little about myself today because I have loads to talk about our speaker for the evening, which is Santya Vikram. Welcome, Santya. I don't know where to start your CV from. There's so much work that you've done. I just kind of read out the highlights. It's like, oh my God. All right. She's a passionate educator her life and a crusader for the cause of children. When she was only 12, she read a book called Proto-Chan. Um, I think as teachers, if somebody's not read it, please do read it. It's worth a read. And that's what changed her life, and she decided to walk on this path. And being a, a graduate from English literature and a master in business management, she worked in the corporate world for around 12 years overseas and did a lot of leadership roles and then she decided to do something new and innovative and that she started a school called Yellow Train. This school is like uh, in a 30 acre organic farm. It works on the world of principles. It's in Coimbatore. You can log on to www.yellowtrains.com. Uh, school.com. It's like top 10 schools in the country, amongst the top 10 schools in the country. And I think her work, not only in that school, but she's been associated with UNESCO. She's been uh, in the national conferences for CBSC. She's also worked with school leaders in helping them to create an ecosystem that puts child at the heart of it. So her heart lies exactly where it should, with the children. So without wasting much time, I really would like to hear her. So we have exactly 30 minutes. Santya, I'll give you a, a buzzer at around 5 minutes, short of 30 minutes, right? And all your time, we are all looking forward to hearing from you. I think everybody can shout out a yay to make it very interesting. Yeah. And looking forward to it. Yay. Thank you, Yay. Dr. Madhuri, for that introduction. And warm greetings to all of you. As I begin to share the story of our school, I cannot not remember the times 
that we are in right now with compassion and with gratitude. And I'm sure that some form of this question accompanies all of us in these times. What are these times asking of us, particularly those of us who are in the service of children? And I wish to share a deeply moving story this evening before we can get started. And this is the story of a Polish doctor, a prolific writer, and a pedagogue. His name is Janusz Kozak. And Kozak was born in Poland, and he was raised there. And at around 20, he was caught between two worlds, the world of writing and the world of medicine. And he chose to become a doctor. For he believed that words were merely words, but medicine was about deeds. And he went on to becoming a doctor. And in the time between the end of first war and the beginning of the second war, 1918 to 1939, Janusz was serving the children, um, particularly in very impoverished conditions. And also during this time, he wrote in abundance. There was a prolific writing. And there was a time around 1939 or so where he felt this is enough of just um, treating young children. And he felt it was a time where he wanted to have an orphanage of his own. So in Poland, he started an orphanage. And this orphanage was often called as an island of happiness. I mean, you can imagine the time in 39 and Poland, and there was, um, there was not much food, disease was in pl plenty, and sometimes one could see dead bodies on the road. And this, this is the kind of times that they lived in. And yet, Janusz's orphanage was often called the island of happiness. And September 1, 1939, Janusz writes in his diary that the Germans had invaded Poland. And he knew that his end was coming and the end of all the children. And in this orphanage where about 193 children lived, some beautiful pedagogical principles of love and freedom and joy coexisted. And in um, 1942, precisely August 4, um, Janusz gets an information that the next morning, he had to take all his 193 children and he had to go to Treblinka to the gas chambers. And he also had a choice because he was an extremely well-known doctor. And he was a prolific writer, and he was almost a celebrity. He could escape this, but the children had to go. And Janusz refused the offer and said, if you had your own children who had to go to the gas chambers, would you decide to stay out? I would go with my children. And that night, he calls the children and tells the children that Children, tomorrow morning when the sun would rise, I want all of you to wear 
your best clothes and you can bring a toy or something that you're dearly fond of and then we are all going to go to a garden and on the 5th of August 1942 Janusz takes these 193 children all of them wearing beautiful clothes the best that they had and all of them marching to the station where they would then be sent to Treblinka to be perished forever. And one of the biographers writes about this moment. I will never forget that sight for the end of my life. It was a silent protest against everything that was going on. It was a march like which no human eye had ever seen before. It was an unbearably hot day. And the children went four by four. And Korjak went first with his head held high, leading a child with each hand. And each child was carrying a favorite toy or book. Up onto the ramps of the waiting freight cars, whose final destination would be the gas chambers of Treblinka. And someone later describes this legendary march that they all actually marched to the altar and not so much the gas chambers. And you can imagine a man of this stature, Janusz Kozak, wrote this extraordinary book called How to Love a Child. And I personally think only a man of this nature can write a book called How to Love a Child. And in one of his books, he says, if you want to reform the world, you must reform education. And I want to come to that very important aspect. And if we today look at the gold that we have in pedagogy, in educational philosophies, much of it, whether it's Rudolf Steiner or our own Tagore, um, Sri Aurobindo, much of what has come out for all of us to still consider as a lighthouse came in the aftermath of the First World War and the Second World War. Because it was that time in history when humanity woke up to what human beings were capable of. And then we went down to this very fundamental question where did we go wrong in education that man became what he became? And I truly believe that this is a moment in history as we are navigating through the COVID times where we are going to go back to fundamental existential questions. What is this whole pandemic waking us into? What is the kind of relationship man holds with nature? What is our relationship with the animal world that the animals gave us this gift of COVID? What is our relationship with Earth? What is our relationship with each other? What do we hold as priorities? And I'm sure we are not going to go back after this pause into education, into the world without important questions. I think the world is asking 
the spiritual worlds perhaps are asking us to rethink, to reflect, to reform, to renew. And I personally think that this is going to bring about a renaissance of some kind. I'm sure in education and in perhaps many other fields. And I remember at this moment, as we're talking about Yellow Train, that we also stand at a very important time in history. And I'm sure we are all carrying very, very important questions of how do we serve our children now in these times, for these times. Yeah. So just keeping that question in the center, I wish to now, of course, uh, um, uh, travel and take you to Yellow Train, our school. And like Dr. Madhuri introduced, Yellow Train um, has been a dream for many, many years. And when I was 12 years old, I read this book. And what I encountered in the book, a time in Japan, similarly, Second War, and a school constructed in the railroad carriage, almost a secret, where children would come and live a fairy tale life, protected from the imminent war outside. And later one discovers that these children, despite being thrown into absolute darkness, could each find their light because of the way the headmaster loved them and raised them in this school called Tomoe. And from that time, this book has been with me in my heart. And I grew up wanting to have a school like that. And in my adult life, I met the work of Rudolf Steiner. And then I found home. So today, if you would drive out of Coimbatore and go through a muddy road of a village there called Mugalitalium, you will come to this farm which is protected from any kind of hurried living. And you would see peacocks and cows and goats and rows of tomatoes and brinjols and corn and maize. And tucked amidst all of this, a school building made of mud block. And then you will walk in, you will see the soul of yellow train hidden in the laughter of the children, the happy faces of the teachers, and the warmth of this shared energy. Um, as, I, as I paint a little picture for you about the school, um, I think it's perhaps meaningful for me to show you some images uh, of the school. Dipanka, if I can request you to play the slide. Yes, in this slide, you will see um, what meets you as soon as you enter the school, a school founded on love for children. The next slide, please. This is a very special letter. I don't know if any of you would like to take a guess. Whose letter is it? And what language is it? Japanese, wonderful Madhavi, it is Japanese. And would you like to surmise whose letter is it? It's a letter from Tetsuko Koryonagi, the author of Toto-chan, who's now 92 years old and who lives in Japan. 
And our children wrote to Tetsuko two years ago, inviting her to come to the school. And she wrote back this letter to addressing all the children of the school. And for me, it's a very important moment that life comes a full circle. At 12, I fall in love with a book that shaped my life and dreams. And in my work, I could really have an encounter with this phenomenal um, educator, phenomenal woman, and, uh, and hear from her. So this is a letter I thought that's of great value, not only to me, I think for many people in education. So here is a letter. Next slide, please. I wish to read you something from Walt Whitman. There was a child went forth every day and the first object he looked upon, that object he became. And that object became part of him for the day or a certain part of the day or for many years or stretching cycles of years. And we have a poem from our school, which is really in deep resonance with what it means for a child to meet something day after day. The cornfields became a part of this child and the silky black lambs, the marigolds and the lily in the pond, the March-born calf, the spotted butterfly and striped crimson dragonflies and the purple blossoms of the jacarandas, the weeds, the red seeds, the soft gray feathers and the sticks, all became a part of them. The braided girls, the boisterous boys, the tall ones, the thin ones, all the ones whom they call friends, all became a part of them. The warm handshakes, the sweaty hugs, the tender looks and careless laughter. The love insights streaming forth in small gestures in silent moments and deep conversations from the teachers all became a part of them. These became part of that child who went forth every day and who now goes and will always, always go forth every day. At Yellow Train, this is the world our children inhabit. Yeah, the next slide, uh, Deepanka. Now you can see the children amidst the marigold fields and the cornfields behind. And this is how each morning looks for the children that they could really be filled with the beauty and the soul forces of Mother Earth. And tucked amidst this beautiful green is our school building. Next slide, please. And you can see that the walls um, are made of mud blocks and resonate with art and poetry and the corridors are filled with music and this is how um, the morning in school is and I say it with even more longing than I've ever said these words because it's been half a year since we've been at the school or seen the children at the school. The next slide please. Yeah so this is a small image of the school and so having brought in front of your eyes an imaginative picture and some real pictures of our school. I wish to perhaps bring to you three words that's kind of a sum and substance of the work that we do with children. And the first word 
his reverence. Can I have the next slide, please? Yes. So these, these are the youngest children in our kindergarten. And I personally believe that young children and a young child is humanity's closest connection to the spiritual world. And these children in the kindergarten, they come to us looking at us with an earnest gaze in their eyes. Will you give me what I need? Will you accompany me for a while? Can I trust you? These are what lives in their eyes. And in our kindergarten, the premise and the words that echo in our ears that we live by is receive the child in reverence. Reverence for the spiritual worlds from out of which they come to us. Reverence for the sacred energy that permeates the kindergarten with these little beings. And in the kindergarten, we keep these children protected. Protected from what happens in the world outside. Protected from reading and writing. These children in the kindergarten up to the age of six do not know even the letters of the alphabet or the numbers. They work with imagination, fantasy, work with, you know, in the garden, in the sandpit, playing, singing, listening to stories, cooking, eating. And this is really the rhythms of the kindergarten. And now we have an important moment when the child can go to the grade school, to year one. Can I have the next slide, please? And then you have these children here. And here I bring to you the second word that's of great substance for us, love. And now the child, having been protected from formal education in these six years, comes to us ready for formal learning and formal instruction. And the way we meet these children and is, is through love and through relationship. And I think all of us know that we all loved the subjects when we loved our teachers. And for all of us, the subject that's most dear in our heart is a subject taught by a teacher who loved us, who knew who we were. So in the primary years, love is the medium, love is the vehicle, the relationship is central to whatever reaches the child. And the children are soaked in a, in a pedagogy, in a, in a curriculum that is full of art, stories, music, imagination. And all of this being transmitted through this loving relationship where one teacher travels with the children for many years in this loving authority. And this is the children in primary years. And now can I have the next slide, please? And you may wonder, I had some images of children for the kindergarten and primary up till middle school. And now we have the high schoolers, the middle and high school and senior school. And I have some of their paintings as opposed to having some of their faces. And recently we had a conversation with teachers given that we are working online with some of the children in middle school and high school. And one teacher said, the children in class six, seven, eight, they don't have a problem keeping their videos on. 
but something happens to children in class 9, 10, 11, 12. They do not wish to have their videos on. They are with you. They are listening to you. They're engaging with you, but they don't like to see themselves on the screen. And then there was a question where one teacher had asked the children, can you please write to me and share with me why you don't wish to keep your videos on? And one of the children had said, you know, this is a time where we are, we are finding our identity and to watch ourselves on the screen and to watch many others, especially myself on the screen, doesn't make me so comfortable. And we understand these are the times where the children are neither in the innocence of childhood nor in adult and at really crossroads. And we serve these children when we serve freedom. So symbolically, as a gesture, I have the paintings of these children. So freedom is, is what, what serves the child in the middle and high school. And now, if you look at um, our endeavor, where we keep the child at the heart of this endeavor, we look at the developmental question of each phase of childhood and meet it with a pedagogical wisdom that serves that stage of development through reverence, love, and freedom. And now I come to a very important question. Who makes all of this possible? Maybe I could see something on the chat window. Who works to manifest all of these ideals? All of these dreams stuck, stuck within the dreams, absolutely, teachers. And teachers um, are society's heroes. I think if we have to put anybody on the pedestal, if we have to celebrate anybody, if we have to believe that these are really the backbone of our world, then it is teachers. I'm personally not a great believer of Mother's Day and Father's Day and many such uh, creations of modern man. But in our culture, somehow we are so soaked in this idea of Teacher's Day and Children's Day. And so today is a special day. And I am sitting here talking to all of you, really backed by you know, the family of teachers who serve as, as really wings behind my back and roots beneath my feet. And really what was once my dream today is a shared dream shared by this family of 50 teachers in our school. And we have this beautiful frame in as you enter the school. Um, can I have the next slide, please? Okay. Um, yep. I pause here because the slide that I wanted to is a bit later says, happy teachers will change the world. And you may wonder, it doesn't say the most learned teachers or the teacher with the greatest capacity or the most competent teacher, but it's happy teachers will change the world. And if you look at how we work with teachers, if you look at the mainstream context, mainstream discourse of what, what lives in, in teacher development work. 
you could see that we are talking about curriculum, we are talking about lesson plans, we are talking about classroom management, we are talking about assessments, we are talking about the board and, and what it wants, we are talking about policies, we are talking about guidelines. Where are we talking about who am I as a teacher? What is the journey that I have made in my life to be in this moment where I stand in front of the children as their teacher? What lives in me? What is my relationship with this world? What kind of messages did I grow up with? What are my wounds? What nourishes me? What gives me life? What gives me hope? What frightens me? And who is this self that is teaching? What is my biography? What is my inner life? What is my identity and integrity? What Parker Palmer calls, what is the selfhood out of which I stand here as a teacher? Because we teach out of that selfhood. And we believe, in the words of Rudolf Steiner, that who we are educates the child far more than what we teach. Because who we are is a living substance that we take into our classrooms in our real encounters with these children. And that is what we teach. And we as teachers, we are the unwritten curriculum. And in our community as teachers, in our family of teachers, we have a lot of practices from the Sangha, which we hold in the morning, a morning meditation to, to working with inner life, to working with our biography, with working with our life questions. We work with the selfhood of the teacher as much as we work with the pedagogical questions. And this, we each have seen, really serves us as a teacher and truly serves the children. And this is something so special, so important for us in the community at Yellow Train. And now you would see this picture in front of you, um, which is the bogey, which the school auctioned um, a few years ago from the Indian Railways that serves as a library of the school and library of the community. May I have the next slide, please? Santia, we are running close to your, the end of your slot. Sure, sure, Dr. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, can I have the next slide? We are enjoying the whole thing. Thank you. Thank you. And you could see that this is this is the library and this is the bogey. And I'm now going to invite you to have the last slide on. And I wish to read something as a closing note. Um, the next slide, please. As a closing note, I wish to share this with all of you, all of us as a fraternity of teachers. When we work with children, we are not alone. We are guided by the spiritual worlds. And in our land, 
in the spiritual tradition that we belong to, education was sacred and it was soaked in reverence. And it is our responsibility to reclaim the sacred in education. At the foundation of any school lies a community of teachers who bear the conviction that a living connection with spiritual beings is required if the school is to fulfill its responsibility towards its children. And if such a community is rightly constituted, it will know what the times are asking of the school today and what it will need to become in the future. May we all know that we are not alone in this task. And may we all seek the courage and strength from the spiritual worlds, from where our children come, offering us a real opportunity to serve them. And I invite you all to have this imagination at this moment, to have these little children in your fold in front of your eyes and remembering the words of Mary Oliver and with these children looking at us, looking at our into our eyes. Tell me, what is it that you plan to do with my one wild and precious life? I say it once again. Tell me, what is it that you plan to do with my one wild and precious life? And if this is a question that the children are asking out of us, what is our response? Thank you. Over Thank you, Sandhya. Thank you so much. There's so much to take away today. There's so much to take away. Maybe I, I don't know what to leave and what to take. Um, uh, I think when you said you are the curriculum and happy teachers make a happy school and happy children. Uh, I, I, I'm short of words now. I'm short of words. So we've taken the questions that have come in. How do we make our children empathetic and free from anger and depression? Okay, so let me go to some of your questions. Okay. Free from anger and depression. You know, I remember reading something some time ago. It's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And I think it's very important that emotional content becomes the content of our work with young children. In our school, we have simple traditions like when they come in each day, the teacher gives them a hug or a handshake and ask the children, how, ask the child, how are you feeling? And wow. when we say free from anger, I would think firstly to acknowledge I'm feeling angry because, I, because of whatever. So to recognize what we feel and to learn to find a place for those emotions in ourselves and to find good ways of expressing those emotions. I think, therefore, making emotional work, the work of the teacher and what happens in a classroom is a very potent way to ensure that our children will grow up to be empathetic with a good um, emotional literacy. Right. We move on to the next question. 
we need to make schools home away from home how hmm. i think when we create uh, schools as spaces of love of belonging of nurturing relationships of making memories of joy then it's a home away from home and um, and children then long to be in the school as much as like they like to be at home and they feel at home in the school because they know that they are loved and they belong in that space yeah i think the biggest sign of a happy school is when a child is longing, longing to, to come, come to school, school. absolutely yeah absolutely. when he's not looking for weekends or he's not looking for he or she is not looking for anything else. absolutely just absolutely. wants to rush yeah right uh do you feel that protecting the child from the outside world and focusing on the world within can have an impact on the adjustment of the child outside the school i think alternate schools are often asked these questions that are we raising children to be in a bubble a bubble where there's no competition a bubble where there's security a bubble where there's protection and what happens when these children are then thrown almost thrown into this outside world which may not have any of this would they suffer my own response to this question is there is a right time for every right experience very young children have less faculty less possibility to digest the harshness of this world and for very young children this protection serves as a sheath in which they can develop sensitivity they can develop all the qualities that they are they are come with into this world and they may come at time where they are actually ready to meet even the harshness of the world for instance we take our children in middle and high school every year for weeks together to work in in sometimes delinquent camps in sometimes uh, orphanages or or um or to our places where there are people with uh, mental health disorders and they're able to meet it and of course they yep. suffer when they see it but they can meet it because that age that is 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 allows them a possibility for digestion but we would never do it to children in the primary years so i think there is a distinction when a child encounters what kind of experience I think even as parents, every parent tries to create a bubble around the child. Yeah. So what's yeah. wrong if the school is also trying to create a bubble yes. and give yes. them a happy atmosphere in their formative years? Yes. And then over a period of time, when they have developed the capabilities to absorb anything and everything, yes. maybe expose them to everything. I completely in sync with you, Sandhya. So the next question that we have, and probably that's the last one, or I don't know, somebody will scroll the screen. How do we inculcate the passion to love in teachers and understand the child first, and then get them ready for the learning? It's an interesting question, isn't it? So I can only give you the metaphor of being a mother. Sorry, I'm unable to bring an image of being a father, but as a mother, when we have the birth of the first child, most of us don't know what to do because we've never been a mother. but we found everything from taking care to educating to everything we found out of our love for this child if i have to become a better human being so that i could serve my child better i would do it and that impulse comes out of my love and i think therefore 
in our school for instance when we are onboarding when we are selecting teachers there is only one question do you love children and when you can see something glowing in the eyes of a teacher when she talks she talks about children everything else follows out of that striving out of that love out of that impulse that child that teacher will acquire the competencies he or she needs because that love is at the driving seat and therefore i can only say that i think this is something that people have it or don't have it either it's their life path or it isn't and therefore if we can find a way to understand if this is truly a calling for somebody or not then everything else becomes possible all right santhi i think you have answered it beautifully i mean that when you were explaining the eyes i could really feel it i could visualize it was so yeah. all right thank you so much now i'd like to invite the selected presenter ms lakshmi prakash on screen for a discussion on the questions asked by our guest speaker can we have lakshmi prakash here on the screen good evening everyone i hope i'm audible yes you are yeah uh, first of all uh, happy teachers day to one and uh, everyone present over here uh, sandhya ma'am it's a great privilege to hear you uh, on this topic one of my favorite topics uh, where which i have always pondered on uh, coming from a mainstream um, you know school uh, as an academic coordinator it has always i have always strived to ensure that kids are able to uh, come to school with a very strong reason to be loved and to love each other and not to uh, learn in the predefined curriculum set by our teachers and i'm in a pursuit uh, of that journey and i just hope my efforts are uh, with such influential talks i'll be able to uh, succeed in my pursuit thank you so much for that wonderful session um, most of my views ma'am are are very very aligned with what you spoke today so i would be just reiterating them in a different uh, viewpoint of mine uh, i would uh, start with this my the question was uh, do children come to school to love uh, to learn or to love or to be loved i would like to opt for the second one i would like my kids or my students to come to school to love and to be loved now what is it that we need in order to create this yearning in a child's mind i believe we need happy teachers happy teachers if we have happy teachers i think they will be able to create happy classrooms now i would like to add on this an optimistic mindful and a kind teacher creates a similar classroom if a teacher is considered as a role model by many of us i would like to say that her set of students will exactly reflect the ideals she has been inculcating in these young minds irrespective of the grade she is teaching and i vouch for that so i have been teaching from the lower classes right from grade 1 onwards to the higher classes till high school but i have seen the impact remains the same if the teacher is able to inculcate her ideals in, among her students if she wants her kids to be uh, you know as she wants them to be to cope with the in unprecedented times during the challenging times i think she has all the power to do so the students thereby establish a positive relationship with the teacher only when she is able to transform herself as a epitome of kindness mindfulness and optimism here again i come back to sandhya ma'am's point as to i think it's time for us to reflect on ourselves what kind of teacher would i want to be if i have to transform the young minds to be 
to uh, you know to be resilient individuals in these unprecedented especially during this challenging time so i think it's time for us to reflect on our us on ourselves and transform ourselves to a higher level uh, i think we can do this by empathizing with them about their failures encouraging them believing in them and reassuring them that we have been we have gone through these uh, challenging times ourselves as children thereby they will be able to believe in our in us as teachers that we all it is a natural process of growing up and it's okay to falter it is okay to uh, you know uh, fail at times and in order to succeed again in life so i believe uh, that uh, nature and nurture are very indispensable factors in a child's development now when the child walks into a classroom with a set of uh, inherent qualities we as teachers can nurture their their we need strong individuals who are resilient to tackle these unforeseen challenges in this uh, time so i would like to take one phrase from one of your videos ma'am in mind valley you said uh, that uh, to celebrate the magic of childhood i would like to add one on one phrase to that if we have to celebrate the magic of childhood i think we need happy impactful and passionate teachers who are willing to create certain moments that will foster lifelong learning i think i would like to complete that sentence of yours i'm sorry if i've taken the phrase from you <laughs> a teacher i believe has a power to surge beyond the defined curriculum uh, walls of curriculum you know if we have to surge beyond the defined walls of curriculum i think then only we will be able to create resilient individuals uh, you know to tackle the unforeseen uh, challenges in this unprecedented times um i think as school leaders we need to first transform ourselves our ways of thinking if we have to transform our teachers uh, you know to um, establish a happy and a safe environment uh, so let us uh, let us i think it's time for us to reflect us reflect on ourselves our and uh, so that we transform ourselves and help our children to blossom into young minds um so ma'am would you like to uh, share some views on what i spoke just now or would you like to add on i think it's very similar on the lines what you spoke yes i think you know i resonate with what you what you have to share about you know really us being the instruments and our ability to work with ourselves um and uh, yeah um like i shared that i think it's a selfhood um that teaches um and if we can work in in with ourselves in in transforming ourselves on in being our authentic selves bringing our identity and integrity as a teacher and teach from that place of selfhood i think that's the greatest service we can do to our children and yes childhood is magical like in that okay really ma'am i would also that I've been chatting. I know. I really like that phrase that you I feel there's so much emphasis on learning, which is beautiful. Which, which is a natural uh, process for children. We don't have to reward them for it. They wish to learn. That's how they learn to speak. That's how they yes. learn to walk. Yeah. So yeah. They, we don't need to reward or punish. Yes. They wish to learn. That that's their natural uh, natural yes. uh, impulse. um but i think childhood 
and celebrating childhood, I think, is really something uh, that that needs to come into the heart of communities. Um, and that's been the work of Yellow Train in championing really the place of the child and the place of childhood. Okay. I hope we'll be able to inculcate those qualities in our mainstream teaching also, ma'am. I think we need a blend of the, uh, you know, ideals as well. If we have to create very stronger individuals in these challenging times, I strongly believe that. And I hope others also uh, would like to agree on that uh, point. Uh, ma'am, I would also discuss, I would also like to discuss these three points, what you, uh, you know, what you highlighted during your discussion, uh, the need for reverence, love and freedom. So um, the freedom to express themselves, uh, freedom to accept uh, them as they are, uh, uh, freedom to uh, respect each other as distinct individuals. I believe, I think teacher is going to be a very uh, good catalyst in helping these students to realize these qualities in themselves. Um, you know, as you told that the high school students were finding it difficult to, uh, you know, share their videos during an online session because they had still not uh, being on par with their identity. I think that the teacher there can be a catalyst in helping them to accept them as they are, uh, you know, in, with the freedom to love themselves as they are and to identify themselves as they are. So I think uh, as the days goes by, we have our responsibilities are increasing. Uh, and I think we need to transform ourselves with the changing times and uh, change our, ourselves as role models and change our functions uh, thereby. Do you agree with that, ma'am? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Do we have any more questions? Any more questions, anybody? Uh, hi. Uh, good evening. Namaste. My name is Ganesh. I'm calling from Chennai. Namaste, Sangeeta, ma'am. Uh, Santhya ma'am, and uh, uh, I've heard about Yellow Train. In fact, my son is going to a water of school uh, at oh, Chennai. Uh, and uh, I just want to ask you, how do you relate to certain Indian philosoph philosophers like JK or Aravindo or Tagore with respect to Waldorf? Yeah. That's one. And second, uh, uh, this is a common appeal to one and all here. I don't think we should even call it as a mainstream and alternate school. Uh, in my mind, this is mainstream, actually. This is mainstay school and this is mainstream school, what you are doing. And the others are all alternate and exceptional peripheral schools, in my opinion. So I want to take your uh, thing on uh, how do you relate to the Indian philosophers with respect to Stina? Um, yeah, I think it's a very big question. Uh, I try to keep my response as um, yeah as simple as possible. Steiner and his thinking is very much home for people who are from the East. Because Steiner talks about karma. He, he, he talks about the spiritual world. He talks about really um, what is home for us in our culture and tradition. So even this idea of a teacher accompanying the child for eight years is something that was, um, that was alive in the time of the Gurukula. So I think um, Steiner's words resonate for the Indian mind very closely. It's, I think he was more foreign to the European audience than he is to the Indian audience. And I also think that, you know, when you look at our own um, 
you know, spiritual thinkers and uh, and educators, if you look at a Jiddu Krishnamurti or if you look at Sri Aurobindo or Tagore, I think much of what they said, there could be semantics that are different, there could be pedagogical principles that are different, but at the foundation, what many of them had offered to the world through their own philosophies have uh, an invisible golden thread that connects all of them. At least that's how I sure. see it. And although we are we are a world of inspired school, much of what we do is very much uh, Eastern Indian tradition. Like our children sit on the floor, our children work in the farm, our children recite shlokas. So we are very much uh, culturally rooted uh, in, in in our own uh, legacy. And that is really that, in the world. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. On that note, I thank all the participants for being so kind. I think everybody has enjoyed. You have made our teacher's day. You have made our Saturday evening, Satya ma'am. I think we've loved everyone. In that school, you know, we were transported there. And uh, we were kind of we visited thank you, thank you looking forward to such sessions thank you very much have a great evening everybody thank you thank to the you. organizers thank you the banker thank you everybody i think uh, it's there's enough food for thought for all of us to see whether what we call alternate stream or mainstream schools or whatever kind of schools we are running how do we inculcate what we've learned today so with that enjoy your weekend everybody thank you very much thank bye bye thank you very much thank you all of you thank you thank you thank you so much